Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm Brian Jewell. I am your host, and I am honored that you decided to spend some of your time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is that we're going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. Now, today I have a supersized episode for you featuring a conversation with Mitch Bach. Now, if you are already part of the uh, online tour operator community, you undoubtedly know Mitch. If you don't, well, he is a serial tourism entrepreneur who has started multiple tour companies and is also the founder of Trip School, one of the owners of Tourpreneur. He has tons of great information for us about how to start and grow tour companies, how to delight travelers, and how to build a tour business that fits in with the lifestyle that you want to lead. It's such a great interview. Uh, I let it go long because I was enjoying my time with Mitch so much. And so uh, we are going to have a little bit longer than normal episode, but I hope you will indulge me in that. I promise it's going to be worth your while to listen to the whole thing. Before we do that, though, we need to start with some travel news you may have missed. Frustrations with the air travel process may be holding back the recovery and growth of the travel industry. In a quarterly consumer study conducted earlier this year, U.S. travel found that nearly six in 10 recent air travelers say the air travel experience is the same as or worse than going to the DMV. U.S. travel says that hassles involved in clearing security checkpoints and going through airline processes are keeping people from traveling as much as they would like. The study found that air travelers are avoiding an average of two trips a year due to air travel hassles, a number which the association says totals more than 27 million trips avoided annually. Many respondents said they would be willing to share biometric data with the government, private corporations, or both to help streamline the process of checking in for flights, clearing security, or boarding planes. U.S. Travel used the survey results to call on the federal government to overhaul security rules and processes that have been in place since shortly after 9-11 in order to reduce hassles and increase travel efficiency. Well, there's your news from the travel industry. Before we move on, I also want to share a little bit of news from us. If you listened a few episodes back, you heard me talking about our on-site familiarization program and how we had some more exciting trips to announce for 2024. Well, I am ready to tell you more about a new trip that you can sign up for right now. We are hosting a trip to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in conjunction with the Myrtle Beach area CVB. Great friends of the podcast. We are excited to spend time with them in Myrtle Beach and excited to invite you to join us on that trip. It's going to take place April 7th through 11th. And if you come on the trip, you are going to experience, of course, the beautiful scenery of the beach in Myrtle Beach and surrounding communities there in South Carolina. You're going to see some of the exciting shows and the entertainment scene that has really become a hallmark of the Myrtle Beach area. We're going to visit Brook Green Gardens, which is the largest sculpture garden in the U.S. We're going to go on a fantastic eco tour of the area. And of course, you're going to enjoy some wonderful 
coastal Southern cuisine. Now, if you would like to apply to attend this trip, all you have to do is go to our website, grouptravelleader.com slash MB dash fam. That's MB like Myrtle Beach fam. Don't worry, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. So go to the page, fill out the form. We are excited to hear from you. Can't wait for this fantastic fam trip next year and hope you get a chance to join us there. And as always, you can learn about this and many other fam trips that we have upcoming on our website at grouptravelleader.com slash fam, where you'll always find an up-to-date listing of fam trips that we are currently holding registrations open for, as well as uh, articles and photos and lots of other information about the dozens and dozens of trips that we have done in the past. In fact, if you're ever looking for ideas about places to take your groups, well, I would recommend going to grouptravelleader.com slash fams and seeing some of the places that we have been in the past few years, seeing our real world itineraries, the great things we have done. Those are a wonderful template for you, a wonderful way to get started on building a trip that we know you're going to love because we loved it too. grouptravelleader.com slash fams. And if you want to apply to attend that fam in Myrtle Beach in April, grouptravelleader.com slash mbfam. Well, now it's just about time for us to move into our featured conversation with Mitch Bach. Mitch has so many good things to say, but listen, if you are driving, if you are working out, don't worry about stopping to take notes on this interview because I am taking notes for you. I'm going to come back at the end of the interview with a wrap up of some of the most important things Mitch had to say. And you will also find extensive notes on the episode in the show notes, uh, show notes you can find in your podcast app right at the bottom of this episode. Or if you go to our website, if you're listening on our website, the show notes are right there on the page for this episode and you can find all of the best information there. And hey, I also want to encourage you to stick around to the end of the interview, because after we finish the conversation and the wrap up, I'm going to share my thoughts about whether there might be a better way to distribute information at tourism events. That's going to be the topic of today's hot minute. You won't want to miss that. We'll be right back with Mitch Bach. All right, everybody. My guest today is a tourism entrepreneur with more than two decades of experience in travel. After getting his start as a guide, he went on to launch two tour companies of his own, then became a sought after consultant to large tour operators. In 2018, he started Trip School, an organization that trains tour guides and has helped more than 3,000 people start tour businesses. He's also a partner in Tourpreneur, an online community of about 9,000 tourism professionals, and one of the hosts of the Tourpreneur podcast. Mitch Bach, welcome to Gather and Go. Brian, it is a pleasure and an honor. Big fan of everything that you're doing. Likewise, I'm so excited to have you. There's so many things we can talk about. My challenge today is to keep us from going two hours. So I want to start with your story because um, like most people who work in tourism, uh, you didn't get here intentionally. You didn't go to school to get a tourism degree. So tell us how you went from young Mitch to tourism professional Mitch to tourism guru Mitch? It's a great question because you are right. It seems like the majority of us 
find our way into whatever we're doing now through weird back doors or side doors or whatever it is. In fact, whenever I'm training new tour guides or helping people start new tour businesses, I usually open by asking them what life crisis got you into this industry? (laughs) (laughs) What happened? Uh, For me, it was sort of just a, a, an answer to what I wanted to do in life that was staring at me in the door, uh, in, in the face. And I started as kind of a wayward son leaving central Wisconsin where I was born and heading to the farthest place on earth that I could possibly go just to get away. And that ended up being New Zealand and dozens of countries later and all sorts of stories that are probably for another podcast. I ended up in France and I ended up going to college there and I studied uh, that great practical topic, philosophy, and also (laughs) music composition. And I was, I was really gung-ho dead set on the idea of becoming a philosophy professor. I love to talk. I love to educate. I love to read. I love to think about things. And I thought that's what the job was going to be when it got time to actually doing that job. I realized I hated it. And so I left academia extremely quickly. And during my studies, which happened in Paris over seven years, I was supporting myself partially by, first of all, being a local tour guide, then being a tour manager, a tour leader, taking people all around the world, all around Europe. And then finally, I started my own tour businesses. And I thought that was all supporting my lifelong dream of becoming a philosophy professor stuck in a classroom. And I realized, actually, I love educating out in the field, out in places. I love making people's minds explode with my stories, with the things that they see. And I loved meeting people. And I loved that sort of aspect of being a guide and being a an experienced creator kind of out in the wild. And so after my disillusionment with Uh, academia, I sort of went full force into being a tour operator, a tour guide, a tour manager, all of the jobs that start with the word tour. And that kind of led me through this winding path in our industry in which I started to kind of work with other interests, work with other companies, helping them do everything from improve their tour guides to improving their tours, to improving their marketing about their tours, and kind of parlayed that into a couple of communities in which we just get together and help each other improve our businesses, improve our guiding skills, and uh, therefore improve, hopefully, the world that people experience as travelers. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, You started two tour companies. Um, I'm wondering what were some of the key things you learned from being a tour company owner that you wouldn't have learned before taking that jump, you know, you weren't going to learn this as just a guide as someone, you know, getting contracts or getting day jobs. Uh, what were some of your key takeaways from that entrepreneurship experience? Yeah, that's a great question because I thought I knew everything that needed to be solved in the way businesses get run from my point of view as a guide. I Mm. kind of thought, oh man, if the company did this, it would just be so much easier if they paid us more or whatever, whatever it was. I was, I was on the sidelines from the actual business operations, just looking at the experience and turning the table and realizing from the business owner side that there are so many calculations and that it's a really hard business to be in kind of blew my mind and realized that you're often making sacrifices and make uh, to, um, to your vision for what you wish your business would be based on the practicalities on the ground. But I would say that as I've now worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of businesses, I would say the thing that I valued the most about my 
young, my, my naivete, my youthful stupidity was that I didn't overthink things that much. I really just went out there and I experimented and experimented and experimented and understood that you're never arriving at the best tour, the best business, the best brand right off the bat. That if you don't have that spirit of ideation and experimentation built into what you're doing as a business owner, you're going to create something that essentially frustrates and aggravates you to no end because you're going to keep trying to fit it into shapes that it doesn't belong in. You've got to find the shape based on who your customer is, where you are operating, who you are. And that all just, it takes time. There's no shortcut to it. I love that. You know, there we live in a, a glut of information, right? And there are many uh, very well-meaning and, and well-experienced people uh, on the internet in the uh, entrepreneurship space and in the tourism space who say, you know, pay me four ninety nine for my uh, masterclass, and I'm going to teach you everything you need to know, and you're going to be able to launch this turnkey tour company, you know, a week from now, and. Uh, it's not that simple, is it? It's not cut and dry. Like you've got to figure out what works in your situation and it's not going to be what, what, what worked for that person, right? It's, it, that's so true. And that's kind of why I winced during your introduction when you called me a guru. We are like <laughs> firmly anti-guru. We're okay. not coming in as somebody who like read 35 business books and decided we're going to suddenly give you all of the answers. We're fellow practitioners. We're mm -hmm. a community of fellow practitioners. We learn by sort of the crowdsourced you know, peer recommended advice that is really just, you know, new test balloons for you to implement and try in your business. We don't promise riches. And in fact, in, uh, in, in the course, I mean, we do have a course, uh, mm -hmm. because courses aren't bad in themselves, but, right. but the first sentence that we say is, uh, you've come to the wrong industry if you're out for riches and you need to have the passion, you need to have an obsession with something that you care about in this business that's going to drive you through a very aggravating process. It's mm. just going to be a process that doesn't feel instantly satisfying. And there's going to be a lot of off ramps as you do this business because nobody can come fully fully set with what they bring to the equation to know it all. You don't know, let's say you build up, you build websites. You might not know how to build uh, uh, paid advertising campaigns. You certainly may not know how to create day tour experiences or multi-day experiences and know everything that goes into brand, brand marketing. And it's just like, there are so many different components to building an experience business in today's predominantly digital world that uh, if, and it's changing so quickly, you've got to be in it for the long run using sort of the community and the support systems that you can get. You can't do it alone and you can't do it without that spirit of constantly trying new things and accepting that you're going to fail a lot along the way. Yeah. Oh man. So you, you mentioned that people don't get into this for the riches. Um, this was not an idea that I thought we were going to talk about today, but since you brought it up, I would love to have you be real with our audience on, on that front. Um, when somebody starts a tour company, do you have a sense for how long it takes them to be profitable? How long it generally takes to the point where they can say like, this is my full-time job. 
Yeah, that's a good question. And by the way, I'm realizing that in the first five minutes of our conversation, this is like a horrible sales pitch for being a tour <laughs> operator, <laughs> just talking about the struggles and lack of money. Uh, it's it's not true. I mean, you can make a really great living. And of course, people scale huge businesses uh, from nothing. In fact, some of the largest tour operators on earth were actually started or are helmed by people who started as tour guides uh, for mm. those organizations. And, and so I don't want to, I don't want to under undersell the power and the beauty of this business, but there's just a lot of, there's a lot quicker ways to get those first large commission checks in, I don't right. know, real estate or something else than, than doing this. I will say that the beauty of this industry is that there are low startup costs. You might have mm -hmm. a website you need to build. You might have um, insurance and business licenses to secure. Maybe at the worst, you've got initial kind of like upfront costs of, of, of bikes if you're doing a bike tour or water sport kind of thing. Sure, then there's some assets and some capital investment there. But if you're starting a food tour business, for example, a walking tour company, it, it, it's a few thousand dollars um, before you're up and running. The rest is your grit, your passion, your creativity. Now, uh, when it comes time to kind of thinking about how much you're going to earn, that's a really, that's a personal question between you and the life you want to live. I've helped retirees start tour businesses and they've said, I just want to go to Europe a few times a year with 15 people. Mm. And we've worked on how much they need to co you know, cost out or price out that tour uh, in order to, let's say, over the course of those four or five tours, make the $50,000 that they want for their for their retirement and that that's enough. That's a, that's, that's, that's creating a business plan with a goal of understanding how you, how this fits in your lifestyle. And it can fit in so many different ways. I worked with another tour operator who runs day tours for six months out of the year. And the other three months that she wants to work, she wants to operate multi-day experiences, uh, uh, overseas, um, specifically for her in South, in, in, in the South Pacific or in Southeast Asia. But, uh, you design the lifestyle and then you work towards the goals with, with math. I mean, we actually have a worksheet or a cost calculator where you, you, you break down once you've kind of figured out your overhead and your margins and things like that. At this ticket price, how many people do you need per day or how many tours, multi-day tours do you need to run uh, over the course of the next six months in order to achieve those targets? And then you look at what are reasonable targets and keep moving the goalpost as you grow your business. But it's always got to be a dialogue with with yourself. And uh, in some ways, like, you know, what we do at my organizations is a little bit like therapy. It's part business coaching, but mainly it's business therapy. It's trying mm -hmm. to figure out where are you at in life? Are you, are is this, is this business just like steamrolling what you thought this life was going to be? Are you designing for the future lifestyle that you want? Because for the vast majority of the operators that we work with, it's a lifestyle business in the sense that they're not necessarily looking to build a $10 million or a $50 million company. And they might just be looking at something they want to grow. Maybe they want to hand off to a next generation when they're done with the business. But beyond that, they just want a good profitable business. And I think that's the most beautiful business to kind of run, in my opinion, mm. because I am a little bit anti the 
I, I live in New York, and so um, I hear this all the time. Grow, 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 scale, 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 10x, 20x, 50x right. your investment. You got to right. go out and get investments. And that messaging, which comes from venture capitalism and Silicon Valley, and it's kind of pervaded all of the ways that we think about our about business ownership and entrepreneurship in general, is really I think it's horrible because it makes a profitable bootstrap business into like a dirty word, you know, Mm, and yet that's, that has the power to kind of like create the life you want while also traveling the world or just delighting people, you know, what other industry is, you know, offers that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to put a price on that. Uh, Now you were talking about, um, a lot of single day tour companies. Uh, you started a single day tour company. You started a multi-day tour company. Uh, I'm curious, um, what are the common grounds between those two types of companies and what can people on both sides of that, um, divide who, who may do business with each other? Um, what can they learn from each other? How can they work together to mutually benefit? Yeah, great question. It's almost like you're a podcast interviewer. Uh, <laughs> the, the, it, it's a great question because it really hits at the the heart of this lifestyle that you're designing. Part of what you're doing as a day tour operator is in this in this kind of climate, which is where there's a lot of tour experiences out there. It's it's finding it's finding a specific customer and it's designing an experience that can delight people that allows you to sell at volume mm-hmm. uh, because it is a volume business. And it's creating the systems that you can implement to make sure that you reproduce that high quality experience every single time. It means that you, for example, aren't the sole, I guess, presence in your business in the sense that if you take a vacation for a week, then your business kind of crumbles. Um, Unless you're creating a private tour sort of business where it's really centered around you and your expertise. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, day tours are about being able to make sure that you've got the systems that everything gets delivered brilliantly every single time in a systematic fashion because you've got to do it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. You need thousands of customers over the course of a year if you're going to grow a profitable day tour business. Multi-day tours are a little bit different. It's about the lifetime value of the customer. And Mm -hmm. there, I really think it's about Again, I'm talking to kind of the entrepreneur. I'm not describing how Globus needs to work or Colette or Tauk or any of those. Those are more generalist companies, but they still actually function in the same way, which is you need to find your tribe or find your community. You and I know from my years as a tour manager and from your perspective in the industry that there are do or die Colette tour takers and Globus tour takers and, yep. and Tauk tour takers. A lot of times they find the company, they fell in love with the tour, they fell in love with the brand, the quality of the hotels, the style and the quality of the tour manager, and they're 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 set for life. And then they take those tours over and over and over again. And so you can actually be a fantastic multi-day tour operator with very few customers. You just have to keep delighting them and keep offering them new things to book and take with you uh, over time. And so that's, that's why I'm a huge proponent of the multi-day operator because you get to sort of exit from a lot of the difficulties in selling tours today. On the day tour side, it's a daily grind and it's a daily hustle. And I have to say, when I sold day tours, it was before really the rise of the OTAs, the rise mm-hmm. of Get Your Guide and Kluke and Viator and all of these large um, aggregators that have really 
reformed the industry in their own making. And it's really forced the day tour operator to have to either play a game in a very specific way or be incredibly bold and incredibly forthright and hardworking and create sales channels that are outside of the online type of um, search-fueled sales and marketing that that um, that the OTAs largely own today. Yeah. Is it fair to say that owning a multi-day company versus a single-day company allows you to, quote-unquote, live more of the travel dream? Whereas, you know, the single-day people are so focused on SEO and optimizing all their marketing channels that running the tours is almost second priority. Yep. I think the most successful day tour operators that I've worked with and that I've seen have a real passion for running a business and for optimization uh, across all of their systems. They know how to hire guides. They know how to work with the right marketing agency. They've got the right just like feel for understanding how to work different sales channels. They go to their convention bureaus and they network. They love all of that, which is really more about being a business owner than it is specifically being an experience creator. Yeah. Um, they just happen to work in the experiences industry and, and love that. The multi-day operators uh, actually have a wider bandwidth to not be that great because mm. if you find people that love to travel with you, they'll put up with a lot of annoying systems that they've created. And I've seen a lot of annoying systems <laughs> and ways that they sell tours and things. I go, really? People are mailing you checks or you're emailing every guest individually, a PayPal or a wire transfer email or whatever. Like I'm like, you know, there's tools online where they could just do it in one click. And they're like, well, my guests don't care. And that's because as a multi-day operator, you can really focus on just delighting them and leaving those indelible memories with your guests uh, on those trips that leave them just hungering for more. So yeah. m less requirement to be successful in terms of being a business owner with multi-day operators uh, and more chance to kind of design your dream, where do I want to go sort of lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we have uh, hundreds of people in the audience who, when they heard you talking about, you know, well, my customers don't care if they send a check or they don't care if they can do it online. They just buy because they love me. They love our company. Uh, so many of our people are saying, yep, that's me. Uh, so I know a lot of the work that you do is helping people go from that level to leveling up to a little bit more professional, a little bit more streamlined. So can you make a case, number one, why maybe professionalizing the business from that level is a good idea? And, and number two, if somebody wants to do that, what are some of the common things they need to do in order to sort of reach that next level of professionalism? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's like a curse and a blessing of our industry that it is so focused on that kind of like human touch, um, memory making, relationships. It's like such a brilliant part of what we do, no matter, you know, no matter who we are in this industry, but it's kept us a little bit in the, in, in, in the ice age or the stone age, uh, as regards to the larger societal shifts that are happening, mm. um, that, uh, that are affecting us and will affect us more and more increasingly. They're just kind of on a time delay in our industry. I always think that mm. we're usually a decade behind what happens in other industries. But then when it hits us, boy, does it hit us, right? That's right. For example, you know, Viator and Get Your Guide are right now the number one thing that 
day tour operators think about and have had to refashion and re-envision what they're doing as businesses in order to compete with or work with. And we were booking flights online 10 years before somebody thought about booking a tour online, right? Mm, Like we were already digitally optimized and served very well in hotels and in flights. And then it came for tours and activities. Now, multi-day is even further upstream than, than day tours because it is harder. But when you look at companies, I think of like We Travel and Yuli, I think of the platforms um, like Tour Radar. These are big companies that have money behind them that are on the hunt to make sure that tour operators are incredibly digitally optimized for the kinds of booking experiences that we all want today as consumers. I live in New York City. I think about this all the time in terms of um, car services. For example, I had my car service, car service like a taxi, you call it here in New York. And I had my airport guy. And every single time I went to the airport, I called them up and uh, um, they'd come and pick me up. And they were incredibly efficient, wonderful business. And I paid 50 bucks every single time. And it was, it was brilliant. Well, you know, Uber came along and essentially put them out of business by absorbing them. Mm-hmm. And they had no choice because they just weren't getting the volume despite having a lot of loyal customers. They they ran off of people who passionately kept their phone number in their phone in order to book them. And yet it, uh, along came this behemoth and you had no choice but to either become absorbed or to become irrelevant. And that is coming for our industry, whatever part you are, day or multi-day. And it's partially a good thing, but to prepare for it, the number one basic thing is to make sure that your customer has a delightful booking journey along the way. It means your website speaks very clearly to who your customer is, to who your niche is, um, speaks with great storytelling. It really highlights who you are. And then when it's time to book, it's not simply send us an email or fill in this form with 38 fields. Uh, right. um Every single field is another chance for a customer to say, this is really annoying. And you might not feel it now, but it's always a good problem to have more inquiries than fewer. And to delight the customer along the way from your website until the moment that they book is the easiest way to make sure that at least people don't get fed up and then say, oh, you know, I've heard about, you know, this website and they make it so easy to book. It's, I mean, Brian, how many times have you tried to book direct with an airline or a hotel? And it was such a frustrating experience. You just went on the kayak and you made the booking, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, they are the experts. Airbnb is the expert in guest experience, in user experience on their website. I'm not yeah. saying anything about how um, they run, you know, their supplier relationships or anything else, but they make it delightful to book yeah. with them. Yeah. And it means I'm, I'll book with them out of the sheer ease versus the other option of like, trying to find this mediocre website and email somebody and then wait for their response and tell me the availability. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, now, as we move up the uh, the food chain, kind of in the ecosystem of tour companies, uh, you get to sort of the legacy tour company that has been in existence anywhere from 20 to 70 years, uh, was very likely started by a baby boomer or maybe by their parents. And this is a tourism ecosystem uh, th- that I came up in. Uh, where these people meet three or four times a year at different conferences. They do business 
face to face. They shake hands. They have appointments. They know each other's names. They go out for drinks. I mean, it's very personal, very chummy. And, mm. and then there's this sort of web-based tour ecosystem. Uh, I, I know you have some projects in the works that are going to maybe help bridge the gap between those two, but I'd love to hear your perspective on what those two paradigms can do to help each other learn from each other and maybe bridge that gap so that we're all benefiting from the wealth of knowledge and the innovation together. Yeah, I think there's just so much to learn from both camps and they really are different camps. You, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We seem to live in a world of silos and silos within silos where many of us are doing roughly the same thing. And yet the people who are talking to each other are in just completely different corners of the universe and don't really know about each other and also yeah. don't know the lessons that they can learn from each other. And so yeah. you're right. A lot of what I'm trying to do right now is trying to connect the diversity of these perspectives into sort of a single or you know, collaborative kinds of watering holes where they can learn from each other. And it's, it goes both ways. I think it's, um, <laughs> the image of, uh, the image of a teenager teaching grandpa how to use his phone and then grandpa realizing that it's really, really great kind of comes to mind, but it's not exactly that. <laughs> yeah. You know, on the, I, I think on the legacy business side, what they've learned to do so well is, network and make those human relationships that make all the difference in terms of your supplier sourcing, your, uh, your, your, just the way in which you run your tours with your vendors. And they know it's second nature for them to grease the palm of their supplier, to send them a thank you gift uh, when they go over to Italy and visit all of their restaurants, to come bearing gifts, to uh, know that you've got to turn on the charm offensive and that all of that stuff nets you better rates, sudden availability when otherwise uh, nobody can find availability, mm. uh, let you off the hook when things uh, when things go wrong. The list is endless of what that kind of relationship building can get you. And on the flip side of it, the digitally savvy entrepreneur, you know, their fault is that they think everything is a digital question. They think marketing is about digital marketing. Mm. It's simply about my website, my booking software, my, uh, my you know, B2B, you know, my B2B connections that I have through an aggregator website or whatever it might be. And they don't forget how much business still gets done through handshakes and how much better your business can be by going out there door to door. And uh, I think what that digitally savvy um, entrepreneur does know, for example, is that we're at a transition period in terms of who our customers are and how they're booking what they want. Um, that's, that's really changing the landscape of how you sell travel. I mean, already now the largest group of people that are booking package travel are going to be millennials. They're not going to be boomers. Right. Yeah, and yeah. at the same time, also, you know, those boomer businesses or those legacy businesses mean an incredible opportunity to hand your business off, to sell it, uh, to someone younger, someone with fresh ideas. And that I, I hope that this kind of inflection point that we're at right now allows both camps to understand, uh, understand the benefits of working together. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and I would just, I want more and more of those conversations to happen in, in all sorts of ways. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned something that was literally on the tip of my tongue. The 
legacy tour company that is ready to sell. The owner is ready to retire. Uh, I have this conversation at least once a year, uh, often more than that at a, a tourism events and things like that. Somebody says, you know what, business is great, but it's time for me to step out for whatever reason. But, you know, my, my kids, they went off and did other things. They're not interested in it. And, you know, I can't just sell this company to some, you know, entrepreneur in town who doesn't know anything about tourism. How, how should a person coming from that legacy background maybe find a uh, digital age tourism entrepreneur to start that conversation with? Well, at the risk of tooting my services, uh, I will toot them because they're absolutely free. So there's no sales pitch here. Yeah. A, we um, developed a absolutely 100% free course called How to, Bu- How to Buy and Sell a Tour Business oh, wow. um, that is free uh, uh, thanks to the kind folks at Chenmark, uh, which is sort of an agency that helps people buy and sell businesses in general. They put the course together for us and just packaged incredible value into a 100% free course that helps you understand what it means to value your business, first of all, and what's saleable, right? Uh, what is uh, actually something that you can sell to somebody else and isn't just sort of, well, I got kind of this collection of clients and tours and relationships and things. And um, second of all, I mean, we have a Facebook community of 9,000 tour operators and a lot of what the posts are, are people asking questions around selling and buying and also people who are just offering um, to sell their business or are looking to buy. And we have a, uh, a marketplace actually on our website where people post their tour business and um, we've watched businesses get bought and sold through there. And all that's doing, all of that stuff is absolutely free. But what we're doing is just trying to, first of all, tap the market that knows the value and would be interested more than anybody else in buying or acquiring these kinds of businesses. Uh, And that's fellow tour professionals themselves who are either looking to expand. And I cannot bear to repeat this enough. Um, it is so much easier to buy an existing business than it is to start everything from scratch. Mm, scratch yeah. might sound like a dream, but it is a long road. Acquiring allows you to short circuit a whole lot, even if the business isn't in the perfect shape that you want it to be in. It's like yeah. a house. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's wonderful. So let's talk uh, about some of those resources, the different organizations uh, that you are a part of, that you're inviting anybody in the tourism community to get into. So there's Trip School, there's Tourpreneur. Help our listeners understand the difference and kind of figure out if they belong to one or the other or both of those communities. Yeah, we have we have thousands of people who are part of both communities. It really just depends on kind of where you're at. So Trip School, we train people to become tour guides, tour leaders, or start tour businesses. And it's really for the people that are looking to get into the industry and also for those companies that recognize that either A, they need to hire guides or they need to help us find them tour leaders because we have thousands of graduates. Uh, But it's also for all those operators out there who are looking for programs that they can implement, that they can turn the key and just start within their businesses centered around guide training or tour leader training. Um, If they're bringing somebody brand new in or bringing in several people, or if they just want to enhance kind of the design of their tour experiences. We do so much around that with Trip School. We work with very small companies and we've worked with some of the largest companies in the world sort of in that vein. And then Tourpreneur is really kind of graduate school. If you've got a business kind of up and running, that's hopefully where you go to just get absolutely um, free and wonderful peer-to-peer based learning, recommendations, insights. And within that 
kind of community. Uh, we, my partners and I, and our coaching network offer sort of very specialized business coaching, almost as just like somebody who comes in and says, all right, I know I need work, uh, rather than kind of like reading through the information glut of the Facebook group and trying to do it on my own. I just want somebody that can sort of, you know, help me understand what I need to fix and help me fix it, you know, and we do programs in which people can become kind of part of our coaching collective for, uh, a couple of months. And, it's where we just dig into your business and one of us dives into your pricing, one of us dives into your products, one of us dives into your website and your marketing. And by the end of it, you know, it's kind of one of those like Disney makeover scenes where by the end of it, you're in a ball gown and everything's made out of gold. <laughs> and you're a princess. Yeah. No, but you know this. I mean, it's why in New York, 107% of the population goes to therapists and because sometimes right. even just in, I think the talking and somebody else listening and offering their perspective or what they're seeing, uh, helps, helps you change the way you're thinking about your business. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's it can be really lonely out there, especially in the multi-day world where you might not have a team of eight guides and four managers that you see every single day inside the office. It's just you at home. And when you're not in Italy, it's you at home mm -hmm. and you're 12 cats, you know, <laughs> trying to stay motivated and, 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 exp you know, and excited about what you're doing. So, you know, I mean, sometimes what we do is kind of stupid, but important, which is like weekly accountability calls where, you set your goals and we listen and uh, just hearing what the goals of even your fellow operators are, you know, makes a big difference. And other times it's more about trying to find the right partner, you know, find out, finding the right transportation partner for your, your Italian trip, you know, because your regular motor coach is unavailable. And we kind of want to just be holistic in the way that this kind of crowdsourced network can help each other without all of these intermediaries that again, the like young generation takes for granted, like, oh, I'll just call up a bus broker. Or I'll just call up this broker or that intermediary and they'll solve my problem. Well, that's another 20% off your bottom line that they right. just took. Right. Um, you know, I, I really believe in the power of community to support each other and to support each other's experienced businesses. And we've tried uh, to set a tone of just generosity and and that that generosity begets other people being generous to you in turn. And what a great what a great business we can be in if that's the ethos. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a generous community. I mean, tourism people in general uh, are kind. They are outgoing. They will bend over backwards to help a stranger. And that's one of those things that makes it an awesome universe to work in. So true. So true. So uh, tripschool.com, tourpreneur.com. We'll put links to those in our show notes. Where else can people find and follow you? Oh, I mean, probably the first thing you should do if you want to is just join the Tourpreneur Facebook group. You'll see there's 9,000 people. Again, totally free to join. Just dive in, introduce yourself and join the party. It feels kind of like the digital, digital watering hole for the industry. We also put on in-person events. We have a, a big one coming up in Seville, Spain, where 120 multi-day tour operators are going to get together in a medieval palace and just learn together and network and probably awesome. drink 4,000 gallons of sangria as we try <laughs> to solve the world's, the, the, our, our, our business troubles and the world's troubles and whatever else we get up to. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. Before I let you go, we have 
have some questions we ask everybody uh, and these are just for fun. So yeah, it's lightning round, but you can shoot from the hip and there's no pressure. Uh, so uh, when you book travel, are you going to book a window seat or an aisle seat? Oh, aisle. Yeah. And as an explanation, I'll just leave it out there that all I drink is coffee and water and then wine. <laughs> Enough said. <Yeah. laughs> Enough said. Yeah. So what's one thing in your carry on that you wouldn't travel without? For me, it needs to be a paper book. I do not think that Kindles and the research proves it. I uh, do enough uh, to just help me whenever I'm traveling get out of the probably way too Zoom and computer infested world. Yeah. And so my happy place is being on an airplane where nobody can reach me by phone and just putting away all devices, bringing out a good paper book and just diving into it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So if you had a free airline pass in a week with nothing else to do, where would you head next? I would, I would donate that pass and make a big statement about sustainability. But if I could do it in secret, uh, I would, <laughs> I would probably right now go down to Buenos Aires again. You know, um, I, I lived there for almost a year on a fluke um, back in 2010. And I don't know why, maybe it was the steak, maybe it was the wine, maybe it was just like the beautifully colored uh, uh, buildings, but that place just lives rent-free in my head mm -hmm. every single day. And so mm -hmm. I'm just still madly in love with my, my time in Argentina and um, specifically that city, pretty magical place. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Uh, last question, what is one thing you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love? Okay, so as a means of explanation, first of all, I would probably, I would probably say that by far the most like transformative or meaningful experiences in my whole life traveling were done whenever I was traveling alone. Mm. Uh, I think that being alone and being kind of solitary just opens up your brain, opens up your attitude, opens up your generosity uh, to the world in a way that just can't be matched when part of your energy is sort of focused inward and focused, you know, with somebody that you love. Uh, that being said, uh, I'm married now and I would have loved if my husband, uh, I think, just experienced um, my time living in in Paris with me. Um, mm -hmm. Again, that was like kind of my weird time of life where I spent my 20s roaming the streets of Paris and just walking and talking and walking and talking and, <laughs> and without, with very little care about money or things because my rent was cheap and French government very generous and it charged me for university. Mm. And it was one of those just like carefree, wonderful periods of life where it just felt like the world was full of ideas and people were just discussing it without thinking, oh, I need to turn this into a business or this is for my mm. class or whatever. Yeah. And that freedom just is, I still, I still try to attain to it today. And I would love for to have met my husband during that period and just had spent, you know, years kind of walking and talking and sipping wine. And, and because we love to do it today, it's just, we obviously live, live boring, sad, yeah. old, old lives now. Hey, one day when we all retire, we can all get back to that and do it with the people we love. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have to say, I, I, 
already know that I'm not the retirement type. And so I want to make sure that I'm enjoying, <laughs> yes. enjoying things along the, along the way. You're going to start like three more businesses in retirement. That's what I predict. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not a good thing. <laughs> many, many talks at home about, about the compulsion. Often yeah. my husband just turns to me and goes, you have a sickness. Because it's true. <laughs> like once you start creating businesses, you just want to make more because everything's an opportunity, you know, you're yeah. just like looking around and there's, especially in travel, there's so many ideas out there floating around. And probably, I mean, uh, just to like, close this off, I would say, I think the most important thing that I learned from being a really bad business owner over many years of not uh, doing anything, but just trying things, be creative. Don't beat to the march of somebody else. Uh, follow your own path because there's so much left to be created just in terms of the way people experience the world that hasn't yet. And those are the businesses that I'm most excited about. Not the ones that just say, oh, I saw somebody creating, you know, 10 day trips to Paris and the Loire Valley. That's what I'm going to do. Figure out what you can do it. Do it on unicycles. Do it where, <laughs> you know, uh, one, one of my friends has a uh, from decades ago, a luxury bike tour business. And his idea was that like you spend the entire day just biking, biking, biking for like hundreds of miles. And then at the end you stay at a chateau and you eat Michelin star meals. And back when that, back when he started that business, the idea was nonsensical. In fact, there were a lot of those bike tour businesses from decades ago where people were like, you're going to do what? Europeans yeah. are like, you stupid Americans. <laughs> there's trains, there's planes, there's automobiles, but this is how you're going to do it. Okay. And now it's, you know, one of the most popular ways to like, you know, experience the world. So yeah. go find a new way to get people excited about experiencing the world and, and, uh, uh, um, and you'll delight yourself more than if you just follow somebody else's path. Absolutely. So well said. Mitch Bach, we'll have to have you back and do it again. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Brian. This is fun. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mitch as much as I did. In fact, I could have gone on and on and on with him. Now, I want to make sure that you caught some of the most insightful and important things that Mitch said. So let's do a little bit of review just to ensure that you caught them all. Now, early on in our conversation, when Mitch and I were talking about the importance of constantly improving in your tour business, he said, you're never arriving at the best tour, the best business, the best brand right off the bat. If you don't have that spirit of ideation and experimentation, you're going to create something that essentially frustrates and aggravates you to no end because you're going to keep trying to fit it into shapes it doesn't belong in. He said, you have to find the shape based on who the customer is, where you're operating, and who you are. It takes time, and there's no shortcut to it. Boy, I hope you find that encouraging, especially if you are struggling to get your tour business off the ground or take it to the next level. Know that the struggle is part of the process. And as long as you keep working, keep trying, keep experimenting, you are moving in the right direction. Now, when we talked about the difference and the similarities between single day and multi-day tours, Mitch said, in multi-day tours, it's about the lifetime value of the customer. You need to find your tribe and find your community. He said, there are do or die Colette tour takers or Globus tour takers or Talc tour takers. And they take those tours over and over and over again. 
And you can be a fantastic multi-day tour operator with very few customers. You just have to keep offering new things to book with you over time. He went on to say, if you find people who love to travel with you, they'll put up with a lot of annoying systems you've created. That's because you can just focus on delighting them and creating those incredible memories on trips that leave them just hungering for more. Now, I know Mitch is not advocating having frustrating processes as part of your business, but the point he's making here is that the travel experience trumps all. And if you can create those truly delightful travel experiences, that is the key to creating repeat customers. And those repeat customers are the key to making your tour business successful. Now, when we were talking about the digital business revolution, Mitch said that is coming for our industry, whatever part you are. And it's partially a good thing. But to prepare for it, the number one basic thing is to make sure your customer has a delightful booking journey along the way. It means your website speaks very clearly to who your customer is, to what your niche is, and has great storytelling and really highlights who you are. He said, delight your customer at every step along the way from the moment they book. You know, if you are involved in planning, promoting, and leading tours, uh, that might be the fun part to you is being out on the road, interacting with your customers, giving them great experiences. But it's important not to neglect the impression that you make the first time someone encounters your corporate identity, your brand identity, that's probably going to be on your website. And if they are trying to get information there, if they're trying to book there and the process is frustrating or aggravating, you are losing customers and it doesn't matter how good your trips are. It doesn't matter how personable you are, how delightful the experience is. If you lose people because they didn't like your website, you never get a chance to win them over. Finally, when we were talking about the difference of legacy tour businesses and digital business models, Mitch said, what the digitally savvy entrepreneur does know is that we're at a transition period in terms of who our customers are and how they're booking what they want. That's really changing the landscape of how we sell travel. Already the largest group of people buying package travel are millennials. They're not going to be boomers. Boy, that is a paradigm shift, isn't it? Especially for those of us who are used to thinking about group tour customers as senior citizens, maybe trying to serve the baby boomer demographic. Nothing wrong with seniors or baby boomers, but there are more millennials buying package travel now than any other generation. You know, that means the group travel industry has a bright future. It might also mean that there's potential for you to do some business with people you never thought about doing business with. You just may have to get creative about how you present yourself, how you reach them, and the kinds of opportunities that you offer them. Such encouraging and helpful information there from Mitch Bach. Now, it's getting to be tourism trade show season. If you go to many of the tourism conferences that take place around the country, you know that those tend to be grouped uh, between mid to late fall and especially heavy into the winter and the early parts of the year. I will certainly be at many of those events myself, and uh, I have noticed some things about those events, and particularly some things you get when you register on site at those events. That's right. I am talking about the Tourism Trade Show Swag Bag. That is the topic of today's Hot Minute. Yeah, that's right. The Hot Minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered thoughts about an issue that impacts tourism 
every day. And today we're talking all about tourism trade shows and the tote bags you get when you register. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. All right, I've been attending tourism conferences for about two decades now. And at almost every event I've ever been to, I've been handed a tote bag uh, full of random papers at the registration desk. But here's the truth. Nobody actually wants those bags. And nobody actually reads through the volumes of paper inside. I'm going to guess that about 99% of those tote bags that are handed out at tourism events end up in hotel room trash cans. Now, I get it. These bags and their contents are part of sponsorship packages. But if people don't keep the bags and they don't look at the papers, are they really offering any value to the sponsors who are paying for them? Here's my suggestion. Tourism conferences should ditch the swag bags, save the hassle, make the really important information available in the apps they're already building. Because I still have a half dozen conference apps on my phone, but I'm never going to keep another tourism tote bag. That's the hot minute. That's how I see things anyway. Of course, as always, you're welcome to disagree with me and we can still be friends. And hey, agree, disagree, have questions, thoughts, rebuttals. Well, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address. I love hearing from you. And you never know your thoughts, questions, or ideas might just be the topic of the next hot minute. And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a favor? Go to your podcast player of choice, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, leave us a review. Those are really helpful. And I am so thankful to each of you who has done that so far. My thanks as well to Mitch Bach for joining us today. On the next episode of Gather and Go, I'm going to bring you a conversation with the ginger sales ninja, Nicole Boyer, who is going to tell us all about how you can become a more confident travel seller. You're not going to want to miss that. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Tanya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 859-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information on our podcast, magazines, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. Travel